the Irish Times Inside Business podcast in association with Euronext Dublin, the new home of the Irish Stock Exchange. Hello and welcome to the Irish Times Inside Business podcast. I'm Cliff Taylor, standing in this week for Kieran Hancock. On today's show, we look at the impact of the coronavirus, or COVID-19, on the economy and business. Later, to look at the impact on Irish business and the Irish economy, I'll be joined by Simon McKeever, Chief Executive of the Irish Exporters Association, and Irish Times business reporter Barry O'Halloran. But first, to look at the impact on financial markets and the global economy, I'm joined by Megan Green, economist and a senior fellow at the Harvard Kennedy School. Megan, you wrote in the Financial Times earlier this week that the markets had been perhaps a bit overly complacent about the threat of this virus, but they seem to have caught up this week. Yeah, they seem to have woken up to the threat. And I think um, a big catalyst for that is that the number of cases outside of China increased significantly. So the idea that we could all um, just exist, Mm. you know, hundreds of thousands of miles away and uh, not really be affected, um, that went out the window. But I also think investors had kind of two fundamental assumptions they were working with um, to ignore the virus. And the first was that it will just be temporary. Um, And so the fact that it's spread and and the risk of it becoming a pandemic is much higher now. That suggests that actually this could last a lot longer than everyone thought. Um, And they also just figured central banks would step in and clean up the mess if that was wrong. Um, And as it turns out, central banks, you know, can't create vaccines. So... Mm. Um, you know, while they can cut rates or buy up assets, for example, you know, all of that doesn't convince someone to get on a plane and fly to Asia or to get on a train and go back to the factory um, or to go out and buy something. So I think some of these assumptions have, have been undermined. We've seen, obviously, a number of companies come out warning about the impacts on their revenues and profits. Uh, Diageo, Lufthansa, Danone, many others. What what are the key factors, the key kind of micro and macro factors now that investors are looking at? Obviously, supply chains are being disrupted. There's a threat to global demand. What are the what are the big issues? Yeah, yeah so um, you're right to highlight it's both kind of a, de- a demand and a supply issue on the demand side. Um, you know, the second largest economy has been at a standstill for at least five weeks. That's going to hit global growth. Um, mm. That's going to hit global demand, and so. Um, there are concerns that, you know, that will last longer than we had expected. Um, what we found with previous uh, epidemics like SARS, for example, which is a different beast but gives us some grounding, mm-hmm. is that when you have a huge fall off in demand um, like you do now and like you did with SARS, um, and then it's actually the virus is contained and people go out and factories start up again, um, what you find is that a year later, there was all this pent-up demand that got released once it was contained, and so there's a big kickback sure. in demand. And so a year later, nobody really remembers that there was that huge shock to demand. D- data looks bad for a quarter or two, but then everyone moves on. Okay. Um, and that might be the case here, actually. And so I think the demand side is less a worry. It's the supply side that's a big problem because Chinese companies have been fully integrated into global supply chains and also particularly in manufacturing um, just-in-time manufacturing has become really popular, and that means that you don't have um, many inventories. You've got really thin inventories, mm-hmm. and you're reliant on all these different cogs in your supply chain um, to produce an item just in time to send it to the end user really quickly. Sure. Um, and so if supply chains are breaking up, 
and you don't have much in terms of inventories, um, then you, you're unable to actually deliver things to your clients. Um, you risk going out of business. The companies in your supply chain risk going out of business. You have to think about where you can find new suppliers. Um, so rather than getting a part from a Chinese company, maybe you'll look to Mexico, for example. Um, the problem with that is if that were easy or cheap, um, companies would have already done it when mm. trade wars started between the U.S. and China. And so those kinds of supply chain shifts are really expensive um, and take a while. And so this is gumming up kind of big companies' ability to supply goods to to end consumers. Sure. I mean, I saw Coca-Cola warning today that one of the ingredients for their sweeteners came from China and that that could cause difficulties. Are we talking about, given the integration of global supply chains, Megan, are we talking about pretty much a hit across all sectors or are there particular sectors um, that are exposed. I mean, obviously, the airline industry is, is clearly exposed, but in terms of manufacturing? Yeah, so um, the Hubei province, which is kind of the epicenter of the coronavirus and has been on lockdown for the longest so far, um, it kind of punches above its weight in a couple different sectors. Um, one is autos. Um, so, you know, Hyundai and Kia, the South Korean yep. brands have had to stop production there altogether just because they can't um, find the parts now um, and because demand has fallen off a cliff as well. Um, cell phones have parts coming from this um, province. Um, fertilizers and healthcare products also come from this province. So those sectors will be hit. And then, as you point out, kind of airlines and luxury goods, um, casinos will be hit by the general drop in demand from China. But there are, you know, all kinds of things that that have parts that come from China. So, for example, um, fantasy board games, apparently, there's going to be a massive shortage because okay. some part comes from China, right? Um, 70% of uh, the world's wedding dresses come from China. So okay. if you're getting married and haven't already gotten it, um, you might not you might not get it. And so there are all kinds of goods that we don't really think about and we just take for granted in terms of consuming and, and parts of them are coming from parts of China. And um, depending on how long this virus lasts and how far it spreads, we might not get shipments. Um, I know someone who looked up furniture on Amazon and it came from China and there's already a 30-day delay on the shipping. So sure. this will affect all kinds of industries, but the Hubei province um, hits above its weight in those ones that I mentioned. In terms of uh, investors, uh, obviously there are strategies, and you're you're writing about this that the big investors can do uh, to protect themselves. But in terms of the uh, the more normal investor, we might say the private investor, uh, the person with some money in shares, stocks and shares, or pension fund or whatever, what can they do uh, to protect themselves, or are they best just to try and sit it out? So um, there are a couple things that you can do as a regular person um, to protect yourself from this. One is to you know look at the VIX. So the VIX is a index of vol- um, that measures volatility. It's also called the fear yep. index. And um, and volatility had been really low. It's gone up in the past few days, but it could go up further still, particularly if cases outside of China increase. And mm. so. Um, you know, we can expect volatility to go up and therefore the VIX. So you can buy a VIX ETF as a regular person um, in the hopes that volatility goes up. Um, You could also um, look to safe haven assets. So U.S. dollar denominated assets generally, um, but also U.S. treasuries. Um, And then also some precious metals. So gold performed brilliantly um, for a couple of days. Yesterday it fell a little bit, but that might be an opportunity to buy actually um, just because gold is, is one of the ultimates in safe haven assets. 
Um, and then one safe haven asset that I would stay away from, um, and this is rarely the case, but it's the Japanese yen. So usually when there's um, a, a big panic and everybody pulls their money to safe haven assets, the yen um, appreciates, but because Japan is so incredibly exposed mm. to the coronavirus, the yen is actually suffering. So I would, I would stay away from that one. And then in terms of kind of industries that you're looking at, um, healthcare clearly will, um, will benefit from funding and trying to come up with a vaccine and prevention for the coronavirus. So that's one industry that could do well. Um, you could buy an ETF, um, you know, of industry of um, companies in healthcare or also utilities as well tend to do well. They're fairly high yielding and they're fairly safe. Um, and I would avoid those industries I mentioned earlier. So um, cars, um, cell phones, but also, um, you know, fertilizers, uh, anything in tourism or entertainment that would be hit by demand are ones to stay away from as well. Sure. In, in terms of the global economic picture, obviously there were concerns already about about growth, particularly in Europe, to an extent yeah. in the US as well. I guess you could say this this is happening at, at there's never a good time for this kind of thing happening, but but it's happening at a time that there were a lot of fears already. Yeah, you're right. And and we weren't coming into this in a strong position globally. Um, so you're right to point that out. The U.S. looked okay. Um, the consumer was still carrying growth in the U.S., though manufacturing was already looking pretty bad. Um, and, you know, we may have been in a manufacturing recession last year in the U.S., um, mm. but the picture is even worse for Europe, which is um, even more highly exposed to China, and also for Japan. So Japan contracted in the fourth quarter of last year. So did France and Italy. Germany pretty much stagnated. So the economic picture coming into this wasn't great. Um, but also, if you think about the position of markets coming into this, um, markets are much more vulnerable to a correction when they're when prices are really mm. high. <laughs> and yeah. prices were already prices you know, were high. really high coming into this. So in a way, we, we weren't ideally positioned. Okay. I know it's hard to forecast where this is going to go, but maybe uh, more fallout in the markets to come in the next few weeks? I would expect so. So my colleagues at Harvard in the public health school have come out and said that they expect 40 to 70 percent of the world to catch the coronavirus. Um, so that's a wide band. But wow. let's take their conservative estimate. Right. Um, and, you know, the CDC in the U.S. has come out. The Center for Disease Control has come out and said that they expect um, the coronavirus to spread to the U.S. and, and sure. across the U.S. So let's take the conservative estimate of you know, 40% of the world getting the virus and different areas will be hit worse than others. So developing countries um, don't have the infrastructure to, uh, to deal with the healthcare issues um, that the developing world has. Um, so they'll be hit harder, but, you know, right now, and this might change, but right now there's a 2% mortality rate, which is actually mm. quite high. So 2% of 40% of the world is about 6 million people who are estimated potentially to die from the virus. That's huge. So mm. if those estimates actually play out, then I do think that you know the panic will continue in the markets and that um, there could be room for the markets to go down still. And huge disruption to people's lives as well, because obviously public health measures across the world will be, will, will, will be, will be something we haven't seen before. Yeah, that's right. Um, you know, I, I just in speaking with another economist about it yesterday, you know, there's a there is sort of a run on masks, face masks in the US and, you know, the coronavirus hasn't even really arrived here yet, but yeah. the prices have spiked. Um and so, you know, it feels like a conversation out of the future talking about 
sort of this global pandemic that might be coming, but um, it will certainly impact people's lives, um, not just through, you know, the disruptions in terms of getting goods and businesses, but also through the, the health channel as well. Megan Green, thanks very much for joining us. Stay with us. We'll be back after this short break. You're listening to the Irish Times. Welcome back. This is Inside Business with me, Cliff Taylor. I'm joined now by Simon McKeever, CEO of the Irish Exporters Association, and Irish Times business reporter, Barry O'Halloran, to look at the impact of the COVID-19 virus on Irish businesses. Simon, first of all, what are your members, exporters, saying about the coronavirus? I presume there's been a significant increase in concern and worry over recent days. Absolutely, there, there, there has been. So we're, we're seeing, um, I suppose, both sides of the, the, the equation in terms of companies that are trying to ship goods out there at the moment um, and companies that are getting component parts uh, and other importers that are bringing, bringing items in from China. So it's impacting them in that literally uh, all kind of logistics and that have come to a complete standstill in, in the Wuhan province. Uh, and and the, the issue around that is that when you have air road, rail and sea all coming together in a very concentrated area. You have all the people that are involved in that mixing with each other. So the the potential for it to to spread from that is quite high. Is it an issue just for people trading with that province or trading with China more generally? It seems to be with, with China. Um, so we are what our members are saying to us is they're finding it very difficult to get anything into China at the moment. Um, and we are also being told that they're finding it very difficult to to get items out. So it has it has the the implications that it has on an exporting company that is sending items out there is that uh, their factories are becoming pretty full of stuff at the moment. Okay. So what what do they do with that? Uh, and if it is um, if it's meat or agricultural produce, there's a compounding factor in the logistics sector for them at the moment, which is that the ships. X amount of ships have been arriving in port out in, um, particularly in the Wuhan area, um, and the ports are full. So you have all these refrigerated containers. Um, what what do you do with them? Um, if there isn't enough points to plug them in, because they're not being allowed out of the port at the moment, where where do they go? So a couple of things have been happening in in in, in relation to that. There is increased level of charges for for storing the boxes on the quayside, um, and and there is a number of kind of force majeure type of contractual issues been brought to play by some of the carriers uh, who have their own issues with this. Um, the other thing that the that that force majeure stuff is allowing the carriers to do is to bring it to another part of um, of Southeast Asia. So there's been a diversion of some items. Um, so so there is a disruption from from that point of view. When you when you bring that right back then into the companies that are exporting items out into to China, that there is a, a point which will come where the factory will be full and where do they go with that stuff and then what happens to production in the factory. My, my sense is that it may have to come to a halt for a short term. So you've got an issue like that. Uh, the, the, the side on the import piece is there's a direct and, in, and indirect piece. So there is a number of companies that are directly bringing um, component parts in from China. Uh, but there are other companies that are sourcing items from other parts of the world but there's bits of that item being made in China. So they are, we have some companies that are telling us that they will run out of um, uh, inventory in a matter of weeks in, in relation to this. What sectors are we talking about? You mentioned food, but is, is it mainly f- it's, food it's, in terms of exports? Or what, no, what's it's the food. So, on, so it's food. So on a global basis, the, the, 
the sectors that are most impacted are food, pharmaceuticals and the automotive industry. Those are the, the ones that seem to be impacted on, uh, mostly. And the, and the ICT sector, actually, where there's hardware and that in it. Uh, from an Irish point of view, um, when, you, when you break that down, it's, it's food, pharma, and it will be... Um, it would be general kind of manufactured goods. That, so there's a lot of manufacturing still occurs on on this uh, on the island of Ireland. So um, those are the kind of sectors that are. And, and so I just going back to that component piece. The the issue again there will be what happens to production in these in these factories. You know, are, are you facing an issue where it may have to cease in in, in a few weeks' time? Um, and and that brings you on to kind of macro and micro pictures. So that so the micro picture that I would be extremely worried about is that a number of companies um, that might be big employers, particularly in regional areas, if 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 that happens, what happens to the local economy for a short while? If there is, is if there's a stop in production, um, and then from the macro picture, what happens to our economic growth over the next year? I mean, I've no doubt that it is going to be impacted by this. So, so you know, initially this started off with China. Uh, we we began to get a trickle of um, queries in in relation to it. Um, I was with a group of uh, ten companies yesterday. Every single one of them has an issue. We got our first Italy-related query yesterday with a company that is having. It was concerned yesterday about getting an item out of Italy. Uh, I had three today on um, uh, largely in the in in the pharma area, but also in kind of general manufacturing, where they can't get stuff um, out of Italy. So that brings it very much to home, and, and because of the integrated nature of supply chains all around the world, um, you know you have a potential danger that this is going to clog up the system quite a bit. And talking to the so, you, so you, when we talk to the, it's a particular issue for a lot of the logistics companies in in in, in a number of different ways. Um, you know, one of the, the items. So it's not just a corporate decision for a lot of them. There, a number of them are saying to us that they're that the drivers they would have out in the local area in China are refusing to drive into certain parts of China at the moment. So it's become, I don't want to say personal, but it's become personal. It's got it's got to that level uh, for for them. If you then look at what happens if and when this uh, eases a bit. So it takes in general about six to eight weeks for an item to come by sea, which is most of the way that stuff comes from China. It takes six to eight weeks to get from China to Ireland. Um, so so you're looking at that tail uh, when when this ever eases. You're also looking at a displacement of assets. So it's, it's a bit like if there is an air traffic controller strike in, in Europe and aircraft from the different uh, airlines are kind of dispersed in the wrong place. Um, you will have that in the logistics sector as well, where you might have ships or trains or, or, or uh, different. Uh, it's less with air. There's still a little bit of air getting in and out, um, but air is very expensive. Uh, you know, and people are using air, but if you to substitute air for sea, it carries a huge cost. Your margins get hit. Yeah, Barry, you've been talking to um, the travel sector, yeah, specifically travel agents, who I guess are really in the front line of this. Um, people, it's it's the time when people might be thinking of booking their their summer holidays. Uh, what, what 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 is the industry saying to you? Well, they're they're not hitting the panic button just yet. But I mean, you can imagine. First of all, uh, Tenerife, which isn't just pop, which is popular with Irish travellers right around the year. I mean. Listen, given the weather we've had in the last three weeks, I'd much prefer to be there myself, right? right. Um, you take the risk. Take the chance, nearly. Yeah. But um, they... So there was a hotel, a big hotel complex there, there closed a hotel, there's, there. There's around, there's, there's around a thousand people basically imprisoned in their hotel in Tenerife. Um, and, well, they, while they're being tested. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And that is now making the place look like a no-go area. I had one example yesterday of someone who actually had to cancel because it was a couple and they the, the guy had just recovered from a, a dose of, you know, the sort of general bugs that you get here. Kind of retired couple, guy just making a recovery. It's probably not very wise for him to travel to an affected area. Makes good sense. Likewise for older people, I presume, yeah. or people with other, with other underlying health issues. It, it does, yeah. But the the... The thing about this is, is while there's an overall note, note of caution at this stage, no one is really, um, no, no one is running for the hills. Uh, travel agents have reckoned there is some level of slowdown. Travel insurers expect some increase in claims. Uh, there is nothing that has any of them panicking just yet. But I would suspect that if this thing continues and, and before it hits a peak, that you could see a, you could see a slowdown. My, my own gut on it, though, is that um, it might actually be this might not not actually be a bad time to book a holiday because you could end up getting deals because this will eventually pass. I mean, we all know that this will pass. SARS passed. All these things do pass. And it's the point at which they pass then that everybody's going to breathe a sigh of relief and, and go rushing off to book that holiday that they were going to book four weeks ago. Sure, sure. You know, so I'd keep an eye on things like that too. I guess the question is how, you know, how quickly might it pass and when do you book for? I, I presume travel agents are seeing a lot of people holding off. I, I guess yeah, the yeah. immediate booking and demands in the sector, I know booking has tended to move later now anyway, but the immediate bookings and demand will, will slow. Immediate bookings are, are, are slow and I think it depends where you are too as a travel agent. Some people say, well, you know, yeah, we do business with Tenerife, but not that much at this time of year. Others do do more business at this time of year. It depends on the customer, depends on what the customer is looking for now. But there is still an order caution. Even if people are thinking, yeah, I'd like to book my summer holidays now, they're, they, what they're tending to do and what travel agents are saying that they're tending to do is they're tending to just sit back and watch and wait and see how this all plays out. Yeah, because who knows where it's going to pop up next. Yeah, that's the thing. And if you, know, if you are looking at the Med, which most people do quite sensibly because it's close and it's cheap and it's warm, and it's warm um, then it, the, the fact that it's, it's made its presence felt in two Destination. Well, Tenerife is in the Atlantic, but you know the fact that it's in Italy and it's in a part of Spain, albeit one off the coast of West Africa, has made people stop and look again. Certainly, yeah. yeah, yeah. Also, a big issue for the airline industry. Well, yeah. I mean, Air, Air France said estimated this week that it could cost one hundred and fifty to two hundred to two hundred million for them. Now they have a substantial long haul business, and they, they, uh, in fact, a lot of Irish people would have flown with Air France to China via um, Charles de Gaulle Airport in Paris. So they have a considerable exposure to this. Um, and I would say IAG, who are reporting at the end of the week and who own Aer Lingus, they would have an exposure through British Airways. So it would be interesting to see, to see what they have to say around this on Friday. In terms of the, the, the shorter haul businesses, Ryanair took a hammering earlier this week, bounced back a little yesterday. But certainly if you were to see an outbreak um, in and around the sunspots and that were to persist, then that would cause difficulties for Ryanair. But certainly they earlier on this week, they were saying that all their flights were operating normally and Aer Lingus were saying the same thing. OK. Simon, what can companies do? Is there is there anything that your members can do when they're caught up in supply chain disruption or do they just have to sweat it out and hope, hope it'll pass? It's a, it's a really difficult one and the, the word that comes to my head, but it's not really very helpful, I think, is alternatives. So can you find alternative sources of supply for those bits and pieces that you're buying out of China? That's a lot more difficult to do than um, than, uh, than, than than people actually realise it. So can you, can you find a supplier somewhere within the European Union maybe um, that can 
make the same particular item that goes into your overall supply chain. Um, it's it's certainly worth looking at that. And if this goes on much longer, um, it will will have to be considered. Um, the other thing that so so Brexit has brought about a huge movement for Irish exporting companies to to look to different markets and has brought them into a lot of different further flung parts of the world. So I think something like this, like the coronavirus, uh, really emphasises the point that we need to diversify our market risks so much more than we currently have. Um, and then the final piece that I would say in relation to that is to just be aware that um, it's a bit like the pent up demand for holidays. Um, but Barry was saying that there's potentially going to be pent up demand for logistics um, when when this eventually settles. Um, so I mentioned earlier on you have displacement of assets. Number one, number two, there would be a lot of demand um, um, to get the clogged factories to get their stuff uh, off the island here, and also to get items back from China. We're already facing a shortage of refrigerator containers in in Ireland, so that it, that is important for our. Uh, both our both our food and our pharma exports. Um, so we've been already facing that. There, you'll now have a displacement issue. So my sense is when you see that easing, and it is beginning to ease in China a bit already, um, you you will um, you will see a fair pent up demand for logistic um, supplies. Um, and you know um, where you have contracts in place, there shouldn't be a pricing issue. But where there isn't contracts in that in place, there may be increased demand, there might be an increase in, in prices in relation to that. Is there anything the government can do to help? I, I have a big concern because we've been talking to our members for some time on this issue um, and they have alerted us to to the fact that they may need some support in, when well, I was speaking to them, the last kind of roundup I had was about three or four days ago and they were talking about four to six weeks time that they may need support. There is there is a, a, a slowly emerging issue in, in, in China as well, sitting on the back of this around payment. So because if you, if you look at the kind of end supply chain and going beyond it into the customer base beyond that in China, so if a restaurant is closed, um, it, then somebody is not paying for for the food, there's a delay in that payment going back right up the chain. So there is, I've been told that there is an increase in delayed payments coming out of China, which may also have a backup effect on um, on cash flow for companies. So I, my sense is the government may need to look at some kind of short-term cash flow support for companies if this continues, if it continues in, in it could be as soon as four to six weeks time, maybe a little bit longer. Barry, would you foresee uh, wider demands from uh, Irish businesses for uh, government support if this does, if the worst does happen, and, and we're talking about a, a pandemic, as uh, the US authorities have been have been uh, warning about today, with with great impacts on people's lifestyles? Um, certainly, I could, yeah. And it, the, the kind of cash flow problems that we just heard about there, I think you, you're certainly going to see people possibly looking for some form of, I would have thought, export, some kind of export credits. Um, back up if you like the only difficulty is with that when you're a government and you have limited means um, and you're being asked to assume business risk if you like uh, how far uh, can you go with that and for how long can you sustain it if this were to really blow up and if this were to last a long time clearly yeah businesses are going to take a hit Um, and I, I think that the smartest thing really for people to do right now is even though it is awkward and inconvenient is maybe to take the the advice and t- which is it which is really geared at 
containment rather than anything else. Sure. And that you try and contain the thing and that you try and let it hit its peak and come off its peak as, as quickly as you can. And that way you avoid all that. And I, I think that's probably the smartest thing. Sure. In, t- in terms of containment that Barry was talking about there, Simon, your members would have staff travelling out to China, coming back here, travelling to Italy, travelling to other markets where this is this virus is likely to land. How, how do they manage their workplaces? How do they strike a balance between the risks of someone coming back from, from, from mainland China to an Irish office uh, versus the need to have an office where people are interacting and, and having meetings normally? On, on the assumption that this will be short-term rather than long-term, where a visit to a certain facility or a visit overseas can be replaced by a phone call or a Skype call, can you do that? Um, I think if, if, and I'm not saying that this will happen, but if, if, if a particular part of the country gets into a lockdown situation, I mean, so I run a business, we have 15 people, we will all work from home, um, you know, and we'll be in communication with each other and in communication with all the stakeholders that we're involved with. Um, by phone. I mean, I've had one member um, uh, say that they're refusing to travel through one particular international airport at the moment because it's just, it's such a melting pot of different parts of the world yes. coming into it. And they've said, well, I'm not going through that airport till this mm. uh, settles down. Actually, actually, I was flying last week myself. I thought there was a lot less people flying yes. uh, than I would have noticed before. So I, I suppose it's um, a lot of it is common sense. I know there are guidelines out there in, in, in relation to that. I think if we, if we get to that point, then, you know, companies will need to be sensible and not travel uh, unless it's absolutely necessary. They may be prevented from travelling anyway. Sure. OK, a lot at stake for Irish businesses in the next few weeks uh, as we see how this plays out. Simon McKeever and Barry O'Halloran, thank you for joining me. That's all we've time for this week. Today's podcast was produced by Declan Conlon with JJ Vernon on sound. Until next time, goodbye and thanks very much for listening.